Okay, what I'll be doing here uh, today, I'll be beginning a series of reviews. This is a four-part series of reviews uh, slash commentary of a series of uh, gospel tracks, Bible tracks, that were uh, written quite a while ago. They're no longer in print. They're known as the Catholic Chronicles, and they were written by a man by the name of Keith Green. And uh, I'm speaking from the uh, standpoint of a former Roman Catholic I think these uh, tracks are absolutely sensational. Uh, the way they were done, excellent. Uh, the way they were put together. And that's why I'm doing this uh, commentary today uh, to bring a little light on this. Uh, very well done by Brother Keith. And so let me get right into it. Uh, the first one is called The Holy Eucharist, Eden, the Flesh of Deity. And, and Keith's going to obviously get into the uh, Roman Catholic teaching of the Eucharist. And a uh, quote, he starts off, One might wonder why in a scriptural expose of the doctrines of the Catholic Church, I would choose the subject, the Roman interpretation of the Lord's Supper, more commonly known as Communion, for the first of the Catholic Chronicles. Most Protestants would expect me to deal with what they consider the more obvious departures from biblical foundation, such as the worship of and prayers to the Virgin Mary, the infallibility of the Pope, purgatory and prayers for the dead, the history of the torture and burning of accused heretics, and such like that. And no doubt in future installments we shall look in depth at each of these. But for this first article, I believe that we should get right to the root before we begin exploring the branches of Roman doctrine and practice. And any Catholic who has even a small knowledge of his church knows that the central focus of each gathering known as the Mass is the Holy Eucharist. You'll hear me turn in the pages here. It's a, a fourfold uh, tract. Uh, print's a little small, but I'll get through it. Uh, then he goes on to talk about the Eucharist, and he uh, says here, the word Eucharist is a Greek word that means thanksgiving. In the Gospel accounts of the Last Supper, Jesus is described as giving thanks before breaking the bread, Luke 22 and 19. And so this word became a proper name of the Lord's Supper in the early Catholic Church. Today it is more commonly associated with the elements in communion, especially the host or wafer, although the ceremony itself is still called the Holy Eucharist. Now, you might be wondering why I'm taking so much time and effort to explain something as harmless as the ceremony known around the world as communion. If you've ever been to church at all, Protestant or Catholic, you've probably taken part in a communion service. So why make all this fuss about bread and wine? Why? Because that's where the similarity between evangelical communion services and the Roman Catholic Mass ends at the bread and the wine. So let me just stop right there. That's uh, Keith Green uh, that I give you uh, an excerpt from that. And now Keith is going to get into the topic of transubstantiation. And maybe you've never heard that word before. Uh, so he's going to give you a little teaching on what that actually means. Okay. And he goes on here to say that 18 letter word meaning that transubstantiation Above is a complete theological statement and the name of a doctrine out of which springs the most astounding set of beliefs and practices that has ever been taught in the name of religion. 
very very few people know what the Catholic Church actually believes and teaches concerning this subject and I am convinced that even fewer Catholics realize themselves what they are taking part in from earliest childhood this is the body of Christ is all they've ever heard when the priest gingerly placed a wafer on their tongue and as they grew up it was so natural and part of a normal religious life that their minds never even questioned the fact that Jesus Christ himself was actually in their mouth. Let me stop there. Uh, you know, Brother Keith brings that out so well because that is exactly uh, what takes place, folks. I'm speaking from the perspective here of a former Roman Catholic. I received communion tons of times in Catholic churches. The priest would put uh, that host upon the tongue and he would say the body of Christ. Oh yes, that, that is a, an absolute fact. And, and, and that's what you need to know here. They believe that that is in fact the body, the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ that is going into the person's body as they receive it. Let me quote Keith again. It might be hard for you to believe, but that's exactly, literally, what transubstantiation means. The Roman Catholic Church teaches their flocks that the bread and the wine used in the Mass actually, physically, turns into the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ after the priest blesses it during the liturgy, the ceremony. Although this in itself might shock you, it is really only the beginning. For the implications and practical conclusions of this doctrine are absolutely mind Boggling. Now, let me stop there again. Do you, do you see the seriousness of this man? Do you, do you, do you see uh, where he's coming from, where he's heading? There's, there's, there's something uh, very serious going on here, folks, and, and you need to take heed to what you are listening to today, okay? Because we're living in a day of a unity that is counterfeit where you have people who claim to be Christians joining hands with the Roman Catholic system, okay? And uh, as, as you hear what is being said here in this teaching, you know, I, I believe if, if people truly knew what they were unifying with, they'd be singing a different song uh, very quickly. So let's get back here into the tract. Uh, remember, this is Catholic Chronicle number one, entitled The Holy Eucharist, Eating the Flesh of Deity. So Brother Keith goes on to talk about the exclusive authority of the Roman Catholic Church. He says, for example, the Roman Church teaches that since their priests are the only ones who have the authority from God to pronounce the blessing which changes the elements of communion into the actual body and blood of Jesus, that they are the only church where Jesus physically resides even now. Let me quote a letter written to one of the girls in our ministry from a devoted Catholic. So uh, let me stop there again. So now Keith, he's going to quote from uh, a letter that somebody had written to somebody in 
his ministry. Back to Keith, quoting, To explain the Catholic Church would take volumes, but basically the Catholic Church was founded by Jesus Christ when he was here on earth. It is the only church founded by Jesus. The greatest asset of our church is that we have Jesus present in the Holy Eucharist. He is really here, body, soul, and divinity. He is God and in his omnipotence can do anything he wishes. And he decided to remain with us until the end of the world in the form of the host in holy communion. Let me stop there. You know, that, that, that's very, very serious, folks, what, what, what that person uh, wrote in that letter. He, he, he made a statement that in the host, that's that, that wafer that, that God chose to, to remain with, uh, you know, with the church until the end of the world in the form of that host. So that the, the word host is uh, the term that is used to describe that very thin uh, wafer. Now, I was an altar boy, so I, I, I know what these little wafers look like. They're, they're uh, paper thin. That's they're very thin, and that's what the Roman Catholic uh, person uh, receives when, when they uh, go to the Catholic Mass. Let me get back to quoting here. If you think this is just the isolated opinion of someone on the fringe of the church, or that the Catholic Church as a whole does not really believe or teach this, I beg you to read on. For not only is this the official teaching of Rome, but according to irreversible church decree called dogma, anyone who does not hold to this belief in the most explicit detail is accursed and damned forever. Okay, so what uh, Keith is going to do now, he's going to start looking at the Council of Trent. Now, the Council of Trent was basically a response to the Protestant Reformation. That's what it was. Uh, people were refusing to believe the teachings of Rome, and, and now they had a problem on their hands. And the Council of Trent went on for, I believe, 18 years, and they came up with uh, doctrines and uh, canons and, and so on, uh, trying to refute the teachings of the uh, Christians who refused to believe the Roman Catholic doctrines. Uh, what happened, folks, people were hearing the Word of God preached uh, biblically, they were becoming saved, born again of the Spirit in a biblical fashion. So, so Rome, uh, they had the Council of Trent and they came up with a series of uh, different canons uh, which spoke against those people who fought against their teaching. And I'll give you a couple here, Canon 1. If anyone sh shall deny that the body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ and therefore entire Christ are truly, really, and substantially contained in the sacrament of the most holy Eucharist and shall say that he is only in it as a sign or in a figure, let him be accursed. So very simply put, uh, uh, end of quote, what Keith is saying <clears throat> there, he's quoting from the uh, Council of Trent, and what the Council of Trent is saying is that if you don't believe that that uh, host, 
the Roman Catholic host, the Eucharist, is fully and entirely Jesus Christ. And we're talking everything. They believe that the soul and divinity, entire Christ, are in that host. Then is a curse upon you, anathema. Uh, I don't believe that. Obviously, that I, I left the Catholic Church, so that curse would abide upon me. And if you are a true Christian and you don't believe uh, what they teach either, that curse would abide upon you. I hope you see where I'm heading here, because how can you have unity with somebody uh, that teaches such a thing? I, can't, I find it mind-boggling what I see happening today. But folks, keep in mind that this apostasy, this great falling away was predicted. It was prophesied in the Word of God. So what you see in taking place is a fulfillment of Scripture. Also, what I'm doing here in this teaching is trying to pull you out of becoming uh, unified with the Church of Rome. Uh, maybe we could uh, save a few from, from being swallowed up in this counterfeit uh, unity, this demonic unity that few are speaking out against. I mean, when you see the seriousness of uh, the way this uh, tract is written, this Catholic Chronicle number one, and compare it to what you hear uh, in churches today. It, it's like, uh, it's like uh, black and white, folks. It's unbelievable. And you, you have so many preachers today. You, know, you, you hear so much talk about the anointing, folks. They won't go near this. They will not even touch it. Lord have mercy on them all. Oh, folks, so listen carefully. Let me give you another one. Canon 6. If anyone shall say that Christ, the only begotten Son of God, is not to be adored in the holy sacrament of the Eucharist, even with the open worship of Latria, and therefore not to be venerated with any peculiar festal celebrity, nor to be solemnly carried about in processions according to the praiseworthy and universal rites and customs of the Holy Church, and that he is not to be publicly set before the people to be adored, and that his adorers are idolaters, let him be accursed. So, so there in that canon, that, that, that end of quote, what Keith is saying, he's quoting from Trent, canon number six. If you don't believe, you know, uh, folks, they, 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 what they do with the Roman Catholic Church, they'll take that host and there's a, um, a thing known as the monstrance. It's made out of, usually made out of brass. I mean, the thing is heavy. And it's like a sunburst. And in the middle of that sunburst is a place where you can insert the Roman Catholic host, okay? And what, what happens is the priest will now take that monstrance and sometimes they'll, they'll have a public display. It'll be open for the people to worship. They believe they're worshiping God. They look at that host. Oh, yes, they do. Uh, and then the, the priest sometimes will carry it through the streets in a public procession. So that's what this um, Canon 6 is dealing with. And if you call this idolatry, okay, which I do, then, then you're, you're under a curse. If you, if you say that those who do that are idolaters, which they are, then you're under a curse. So you see, folks, we're dealing with a, uh, a false gospel here. I mean, you know, if God were to put a neon sign that would shine in the clouds that you could see every night, uh, he, he, he would do it for, for this. Folks, it's unbelievable. And yet, this is what is being taught. It's not a light issue. So, uh, Keith goes on to talk about the worship of the host and so on. 
and they believe that Jesus Christ is physically present in each morsel of that bread okay they absolutely believe that and um, I remember uh, as an altar boy when you would when the priest would serve communion to the recipients uh, whether it be man woman child uh, the altar boy would hold uh, like a little brass plate with a handle on it known as a patent and and that would be so that the host would not fall to the floor because why because they believe that's Jesus Christ. Oh yes, and that's what you would do. And these things were not cheap-looking stuff, folks. This is this this is expensive uh, things here, like this patent and everything else that goes on the tabernacle in 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 the Roman Catholic Church. So uh, very important that you see that. So they would worship the host. And Keith, brother Keith, goes on to talk about when this teaching began. Okay, and he gives you the different dates, and it says the teaching of transubstantiation does not date back to the Last Supper as most Catholics suppose. It was a controversial topic for many centuries before officially becoming an article of faith, which means that it is essential to salvation according to Rome. The idea of a physical presence was vaguely held by some such as Ambrose, but it was not until 831 AD that Pasacius Radbertus, a Benedictine monk, published a treatise openly advocating the doctrine. Okay, Even then, for almost another four centuries, theological war was waged over this teaching by bishops and people alike until at the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215 AD, it was officially defined and canonized as a dogma by Pope Innocent III. I know uh, some of these things, folks, it can become... Um, rather boring for some but you know it's important that you understand well, where this stuff came from uh, what, what was the root of this whole teaching Keith goes on to talk about how Rome views the Bible okay before we proceed quote he's saying here before we proceed to look at what the Bible has to say on this subject it's important to understand the official Catholic view of the scriptures according to unquestionable decree they hold that church tradition has equal authority with the Bible this is not just a theological view but it was made an article of faith by the same Council of Trent in 1545 and again this view is completely held by the church today still quoting the teachings of the church will always be in keeping with the teachings of the scripture and it is through the teaching of the church that we understand more fully truths of sacred scripture to the Catholic Church belongs the final word in the understanding and meaning of the Holy Spirit in the words of the Bible. Let me stop there. Sirens should be sounding in your spirit, ladies and gentlemen. Do you see what's uh, uh, being said there? Basically, they're saying, look, we, we, we know the deal. We're the ones who have the final interpretation of, of the scriptures. And I know that that is exactly what they teach 
They have their Pope, they have their Magisterium, which is the Roman Catholic teaching office, and they, they, they basically say, we're in charge. Well, I'm here to tell you today, folks, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. He will guide you into all truth. If you've been truly born again of the Spirit, you can study the scriptures for yourself. And this is where, where this whole thing with the Reformation, folks, you had people who were genuinely born again of the Spirit. Uh, they came alive and they, they said, wait, hold on here. And, and Rome came against them. And this is where the martyrs came from, folks. These people stood for the truth. Oh, yes, they did. You had, you had people, you had the Tyndales, you had the Luthers, the John Huss, the John Wycliffs, and countless others, many who were tortured, and I mean tortured, brutally tortured, before they killed them, uh, burnt them at the stake. Countless folks, multitudes. Why? Because they didn't believe the Roman Catholic Church and what they taught. Oh, yes. They came against that, and, and what happened? They killed them. They killed them. They murdered them because they refused to believe. They, they refused to bend their knee to Rome. And, and they gave their lives and they went into glory uh, as they did that. So let me go on. Keith goes on to say, uh, let's see what we have here. Let me read here. And explaining the premise used and interpreted in the Bible, quote, usually the meaning of the scriptures is sought out by those who are especially trained for this purpose. And in their conclusions, they know that no explanation of the scriptures, which contradicts the truths constantly taught by the infallible church, can be true. He goes on to say, any thinking person can see how such a mode of interpretation can be dangerously used to manipulate scripture to mean absolutely anything at all. Who has not observed this of the various cults, the Moonies, Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses all back up their false teachings with new revelations and inspired interpretations of the scriptures, each claiming that the Holy Spirit revealed these new truths to their founders. One opens themselves to all kinds of deception when they judge the Bible by what their church or pastor teaches instead of judging what their church or pastor teaches by the Bible. Whoa, folks. Oh, incredible. You never hear this stuff. You never hear stuff like this in the modern-day church, folks. You don't hear it. And that's why I'm doing this today. Glory to God. So, uh, Keith goes on to talk about the Catholic proof text, what they believe to be uh, the truth, not what we believe uh, to be the truth. So, it's, it's, Keith goes on to say, With this in mind, we will briefly discuss the two main passages of Scripture that the Roman Church uses while trying to show that Jesus himself taught transubstantiation. Now watch this. John 6, 54 and 55, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. So Keith goes on to say, Catholics are taught here that Jesus is explaining how he is literally offered them offering them his flesh and blood so that they may have eternal life by physically eating him. With just a little study of the whole passage, verses 27 to 71, it's clear that Jesus was not talking about physical, 
but spiritual food and drink. Food is eaten to satisfy hunger. And in verse 35, Jesus says, He who cometh to me shall never hunger. He is, of course, speaking of the spiritual hunger in man for righteousness and salvation. And he promises to those who will come to him that he will satisfy their hunger for these things forever. Therefore, to come to him is to eat. And he gives the references, see also Matthew 5, 6, 11, 28, John 4, 31 to 34. We drink also to satisfy thirst. And again in verse 35, Jesus tells us, He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Therefore, to believe on him is to drink. See also John 4, 13 to 14. No one can say that here Jesus was establishing the eating and drinking of his literal flesh and blood to give eternal life. For in verse 63, he says, It is the Spirit who gives life to flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and uh, they are life. Thus Jesus makes clear what we should be eating and drinking to have eternal life. See also Matthew 4 and verse 4. Matthew 26, 26 and 28. This is my body. This is my blood. Catholics base their whole religious system on their interpretation of these two verses. They adamantly teach that right here Jesus is pronouncing the first priestly blessing that mysteriously changes the bread and wine into his body and blood. The absolute folly of such a conclusion is proved by this one observation. He was literally still there before, during, and after they had partaken of the bread and the cup. He was not changed into some liquid and bread. His flesh was still on his bones and his blood still in his veins. He had not vanished away to reappear in the form of a piece of bread or a cup of wine. Let me stop it right there. Brother Keith explained it uh, so well, folks. When, when the Lord is talking about uh, eating his flesh and blood believe it, 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 it's a spiritual it's a spiritual thing folks it's not eating the physical body of of Jesus Christ you remember the woman at the well um, when the Lord uh, spoke to her she she was coming to the well and she was uh, fetching the water and this is something she did on a uh, a regular basis and the Lord spoke to her about living water. And she didn't understand it right away uh, because she was thinking in the natural. He said, if you only knew. And she, she looked at him and basically said, well, you don't have a, a pail. You know, how are you going to get it? You don't have a bucket. Tell me more, you know, about this, uh, this water you say I'll never thirst again. Well, was he talking about physical water? Of course not. He was talking about spiritual water. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what he was talking about. And folks, this is, uh, hear me now, Satan does not want anybody. He does not want the Roman Catholic people to receive the true living water. He does not want anybody to receive the true living water. He, he blocks it any way he can. People need the Holy Spirit. People need to be born again the biblical way. 
Oh yes, and that you, you can think of Nicodemus when the Lord told him that he must be born again. Once again, we see a man who was thinking in the natural. He said, how can, do I have to go back in my mother's womb? How can this be? He did not understand. It was a spiritual rebirth, or a new birth it was. It was, a, it was a new birth. It was a spiritual birth. And that's what the Lord was talking about there. So, uh, very important. Then, then Brother Keith goes on to uh, talk about another time in the Bible uh, with David. He said, one time David's friends heard him express his strong desire for water from the well of Bethlehem. In spite of extreme danger, these men broke through the enemy lines of the Philistines and brought the water to him. When David found out that these men had risked their lives in this way, he refused to drink the water, exclaiming, is not this the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? That's Second Samuel 23 and verse 17. So once again, we see he was using the term. Uh, he wasn't talking that that water wasn't the, the blood. Obviously, it wasn't the blood. He was speaking, uh, using it as an example, folks, and and. Brother Keith goes on to say, Throughout the Gospels, we find similar metaphorical language. Jesus referring to himself as the door, the vine, the light, the root, the rock, the bright and morning star, as well as the bread. The passage is written with such common language that it is plain to any observant reader that the Lord's Supper was intended primarily as a memorial and in no sense a literal sacrifice. Do this. In remembrance of me, Luke 22 and 19. And then as, as Keith uh, started to wind up the, the teaching, he talked about the true pagan origins of, of this whole uh, teaching on, on the Eucharist. He said, where, Keith says, where did this teaching and practice really come from? Like many of the beliefs and rites of Romanism, transubstantiation was first practiced by pagan religions. The noted historian Doran said that belief in transubstantiation as practiced by the priests of the Roman Catholic system is one of the oldest ceremonies of primitive religion. The syncretism and mysticism of the Middle East were great factors in influencing the West, particularly Italy. In Egypt, priests would consecrate meat cakes which were supposed to become the flesh of Osiris. The idea of transubstantiation was also characteristic of the religion of Mithra, whose sacraments of cakes and Helma drink closely parallel Catholic Eucharistic rites. The idea of eating the flesh of deity was most popular among the people of Mexico and Central America long before they ever heard of Christ. And when Spanish missionaries first landed in those countries, their surprise was heightened when they witnessed a religious rite which reminded them of communion, an image made of flour, and after consecration by priests was distributed among the people who ate it, declaring it was the flesh of deity. So, uh, before I finish uh, what, quoting what Keith said, so you, you get in the picture, folks, as you can see in this uh, 
first of the Catholic Chronicles, the Holy Eucharist, eating the flesh of deity. It's totally a different, if you're a born-again believer, you know when you would celebrate uh, communion, uh, it's totally, you, you're not thinking that you're eating the flesh of deity, you're doing it in remembrance of the Lord, folks, in the remembrance of Jesus Christ. You know, you can take a piece of matzah cracker, uh, the, the, the Jewish matzah cracker, it's, it's unleavened, okay? And you take a piece of that, and, and, and I've been to churches that use the matzah cracker to uh, be the bread. And when they would celebrate with what the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me, and then you would have the grape juice, okay? And that would represent the um, the blood, okay? So, you can do that. You know, you can gather with uh, one other person, two other people, a crowd, okay? You could do it at home. I, I do it myself. Remember the Lord. Do this in remembrance of me. And I will do this with my uh, wife, Kathy. You take that, that piece of matzo bread. You take the grape juice. And you, say, and, and, you, and you say, Lord, we thank you. And, and, and we'll open the scriptures. We'll, we'll read scriptures on the Passover about the blood of Jesus Christ and rejoice and remember what the Lord has done for us. I will read perhaps from Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 8 and 9. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we we shall be saved from wrath through him. And I'll read this as we're remembering, holding this bread and saying, Lord, thank you for what you did. Thank you, Lord, that your blood justified me, a wretched sinner. Thank you for this cup. Thank you as you would take the grape juice. And thank you, oh God, for that blood. That's what the Lord had in mind, folks. He says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance. You're remembering what the Lord did for you. He paid for your sins upon the cross. That's the beauty. Oh Lord, have mercy on us. That is the beauty of the gospel, folks. And that gospel is available for everybody. And that's what he had in mind, folks. Not that we are physically eating Christ himself. So Keith ends the tract. Uh, it says, so why do they teach it? Before concluding our first chronicle, the question needs to be asked, why does the Roman Catholic Church need to have such a doctrine? Why do they think that Jesus wants them to physically eat him? That is what truly puzzled me as I read astounded through the catechism and doctrinal instruction books, but the answer to that question is not a pretty one. As I said before, the implications and practical conclusions of the teaching of transubstantiation are substantially worse than the doctrine itself, and like a great web spun by an industrious spider, Rome's teachings spiraled out from this central hub like the spokes of a wheel. In the following Catholic Chronicle, we will look intently at the next direct result of transubstantiation in official Catholic systematic theology, the sacrifice of the Mass. So, the sacrifice of the Mass, that's Chronicle number two. And uh, by the grace of God, God willing, I will, uh, I'll do a teaching on that, a review of that. I'll be reading, just like I did today, from the actual uh, 
original track I'm holding it in my hand. These are uh, fourfold, four-folded tracks and very well done as I said before and uh, obviously I am biased, there's no question about it because I'm a former Roman Catholic. So I do agree with uh, what Brother Keith uh, said and um, I'll be honest with you, you know, I look forward to meeting this man one day. You know, folks, this, this thing that we talk about heaven, uh, it's real. It's real. And, and that's, you know, Brother Keith is, he's there. You know, he lost a couple of his children uh, also. You know, very, very heart heartbreaking. You know, just, uh, I wasn't even a Christian at the time, to be honest with you, but very heartbreaking when you read the, uh, the read the story. It, it's uh, very, very heartbreaking and there were others also on that plane that went down and um, uh, it's unbelievable to, to be uh, to be honest with you in fact I believe his wife was pregnant with another child and he had this man had a premonition I believe uh, you know because he spoke with his wife about what they would name the child before he went out uh, on that plane never to be seen again so folks uh, you know I take this stuff serious, what we're doing, you know, and uh, I, I can't hold back. To, you know, I see what is going on, and I, 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 I am amazed every day. I know I sound like a broken record sometimes, but folks, you know, as long as there's breath in your body, uh, you got to you got to defend the, the, the truth. As long as there's breath, my, oh my, to sit by and, and say nothing. I, I cannot comprehend it. I, I really cannot comprehend it. Especially those that would uh, say that they're leaders. They, they've been born again. And, and they, you know, there are people that, that are listening today. You, you know what I'm telling you is true. And many of you have no intention of, of, of changing your way. But, but, but hear me today. You, you, you do have a responsibility. Because the Lord, the Lord knows all things, folks. And uh, I, I, He knows my heart. He knows my heart. Oh, absolutely, he knows my heart. And um, in fact, just yesterday, you know, we were uh, having a meal at, at a mall not too far from here. And um, there was an elderly couple in their 90s, in their 90s. And Kathy happened to hear uh, the accent. It sounded like they were talking in Italian. Oh, yes. And, and we, we recently purchased uh, excellent Bible tracts in Italian. Okay, and uh, Kathy, you know, she, you know, she she wanted to go over and speak to them, and uh, that's exactly what she did. And she very friendly, and you know, I, 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 you know, she walked over to the table and said, "Can I sit down?" And she she asked them if they were Italian, and they were, you know, I was observing. I was at the next table observing. They they were happy. I was watching the smiles on their faces as they're talking, you know, and um, and, and I knew I knew what was going to happen, and, and you know. Uh, then Kathy invited me over to the table, introduced me, very nice people, both of them in their 90s, both of them Roman Catholic, both of them in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, very long conversation uh, with this lovely couple, lovely couple. In fact, they, they, um, they had been going over the years to, to, uh, in the winter to go down to Florida and uh, 
I, I, I'm not sure if they moved there permanently. They were there for uh, quite a while. And uh, I asked them where, and they told me, and I mentioned a certain place, uh, a farmer's market we went to, and they lit up like light bulbs because they, they went there regularly. So we had a very nice conversation. And, and the, uh, the conversation turned to spiritual things. And uh, Kathy explained to them, and then she handed them the, the Bible tracts and um, asked them if they read the Bible, and they didn't. Yeah, they did not. They, they did not even own a Bible, and uh, so we we were explaining different things. And um, you know, one of the first things the lady said is, "My son is born again." So we we told her, "Your your son is praying for you, both of you." And we shared the gospel with them, folks. And and this is what it is about. Don't hold back. It's for a soul, folks. It's for a soul. It's for a soul. Heaven is real. Hell is real. I made a point of telling them. I said, "There's no purgatory," and 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 I we we were very gentle with them, very loving with them, and 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 we 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 came home and we prayed for them. God knows our heart, folks. It, it's for souls. It is for souls. It is for souls. And and this is what it's about. Not some uh, to stand here and t show you how much Bible knowledge, folks. I have. I know when the breath leaves my body. That's it. I I can't. I can't teach anymore. I can't try to uh, tell people uh, the truth, but, 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 but I know I'm going to stand before God one day. And uh, that's why I continue to do what I am doing. And, and I'm going to stop right there and end this uh, first review commentary. If I went on, I'm sorry, but you know my heart. And I encourage you to listen to all four to get your understanding open by the Spirit of God. You pray and say, Holy Spirit, I want the truth no matter what, and watch what He does in your life. Be blessed.